0: Welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. August 5th, 2018. Episode number 140. Hiatus. Hello everyone and welcome to the Beekeeper's Corner Podcast. I'm Kevin England and this is a sidebar edition of the Beekeeper's Corner. Not a typical episode, just to check-in, saying hello. Went on hiatus for an episode. Since the last time I've checked in, I was in Seattle on vacation with the family. Actually, the last episode released, I was in Seattle at the time that that came out. and released it from Seattle. Then went to New York City for a couple of days for a work training event. And work has been just crazy. Yeah, we're at that summertime period at work where a number of projects are coming to fruition. We're doing some really big things at work. Bigger than usual, large-scale programs, really innovative. And it's required quite a bit of architecture work, which is my new role as an architect. So uh, a lot going on there and multiple projects out real early in the morning, back late at night, and any spare moment that I have, I've been studying for Master Beekeeper. So that's been 24-7, and that's a little bit of what I'm going to talk about. I'll hit a local hive report, I'll talk about what's going on, what's going to happen, and then uh, close it down. It's going to be a short episode, but you know, there's times when I don't record. have had a couple periods of those. And people ring in and say, you know, we're we're missing the program. Wish you could have checked in with us. So consider this um, that I have tons and tons and tons of things prepared for an episode. I'm not sure if I'll be back in two-week window like I should be. We'll see. Um, Next weekend we leave for the run to... Virginia for Eastern Apiculture Society and I'll be getting back and you know maybe uh towards the end of that week I'll sit down with Bob Kloss that's who I'm going down there with and we'll see if we can maybe do an interview or something like that we'll see something may come to fruition but for right now I don't know that I can get something recorded for the next episode so just put you on notice if you're a regular listener after that we'll be back with uh regularly scheduled programs so what's been going on around here you know I got up at three in the morning one day just because um, I had been exhausted from work came home on a Friday night went to bed at six o'clock woke up at three in the morning and went out and cleaned the garage and I went through all of my hive equipment in the garage I have a bunch of different spare boxes frames different hives and Wow, what a job it was to clean that up. One of the tests that I wanted to know this year was if we had put the wax moth deterrent in the frames, was it really going to work? The Zentari. If you're not familiar with this product, it's a product that was used to spray a, I think it's a fungus, something on hive comb. And if a larva eats it, meaning a wax moth larva, it will kill the larva. It's something that was registered at one point and then fell out. We had heard that the reason was not because it wasn't effective, but because whoever was producing it didn't want to pay the fees to have that go and was able to get some and wanted to try it because they had heard so much about it. The outcome is, yeah, it worked. For the most part it worked. There are periods of uh, or there are sections of comb that was in storage that has a little bit of wax moth larva, a little bit of webbing. I found a few cocoons here and there but nothing like in the past. In the past when you did it, holy cow, if you left your stuff and didn't pay attention to it by the end of July, You were just inundated with dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of waxwoth larvae throughout as they have just consumed your comb to nothingness and left you with webbing and feces. Didn't find that this year. Found a couple nooks and crannies. My guess is when we sprayed the frames with the material, I might have missed some, although I think I was pretty judicious. The fact of the matter is I'm not sure how effective it is and I wanted to put comb away and make sure it didn't get ruined. So in the stacks that I have, I pulled all my boxes out and I put boxes that are empty in one stack and boxes with comb in another stack. And I had wax moth flakes that I had purchased, a different form of wax moth protection, and I set the stack up and I put wax moth flakes in it. The good news is I left the top of the stack open and in a couple weeks I'll go back and look and make sure that there's enough crystals in there that they didn't dissipate. I guess uh seeing it's August, probably about once a month through till the time that it gets cold, I'll go check on that and just make sure that there's still wax moth flakes in there and that they're continue to do their job. The reason I went to the flakes is Although I did not see wax moth larvae all over I did see wax moths all through my comb. So they smell the comb and they're all in there and I figured if I stacked all the boxes up put some wax moth flakes in there and close them up then the potential of killing all the live wax moths flying around in there and keeping them from depositing any further eggs was probably in my best interest. I did find one let me back up a minute I had a couple boxes in the garage in storage that had honey left over from feeding the bees in the fall and if hives didn't make it I collected all the honey and tried to protect it as it got longer and longer in the year and hotter and hotter some of that just uncapped itself sometimes bees got in through nooks and crannies They were starting to open up. You know, sometimes you move them around and they bang and leak. And there was honey dripping on the floor and it was drawing bees into the garage all the time. I think I sprayed that stuff, but I'm not sure. But one particular comb had wax moth throughout it. So they will go in a honey super. And I pulled that frame out. And took a bunch of pictures of it. And then I did something really, really stupid. But I wanted to know, and I'll find out. (laughs) I took that frame, larva and all, and I put it right into a live hive to see if they would clean it up. It's all for science, right? For the podcast itself, I want to know the experience. Somebody someday will ask, if I have larva on the comb, can I put that on a hive and let the bees clean it up? In the next couple of days, I'll go back and check that hive and see what happened to it. I had harvested honey since the last time we met. Pulled 100 and I think 15 pounds this year, while still leaving enough for the bees, so not bad. I think it was about 120 last year. Shannon and I had a good time harvesting this year. I, I typically am so busy or have stuff going on, I don't get to do it. And Sharon and the boys do it. Uh, Sharon and I did it this year in the garage. It was hot. It was yucky. But we borrowed the extractor from Northwest New Jersey Beekeepers. They have an extractor that they loan. I think it was the week after the 4th of July or something. I don't remember the dates. This year we got a little better. In the past we always just strained out the honey raw right into pots. And then brought the pots in the house and cleaned them up. And what a mess it made. And it took too long. And you're filtering in your kitchen and all that. They bought a bunch of different buckets with different strainers. And strained all the honey right out of the extractor two or three times. And then right with the gate, opened it up, put it right into the jar. Shot a lot of photographs of that process. Never had a bunch of photos of honey extraction. And everything went pretty well pretty smooth. It took the better part of a day and you know it's one of the questions I could ask sometimes is how long does it take. I think we had one full deep, five full deep frames, two medium or three medium boxes and that's what we harvested out of all of our hives. So yeah got another patch of honey to put away for another year. That's always a pleasure and one of the reasons you do it I suppose. And then what I was able to do is take the honey that I had in the garage and put it back on top of all of the hives where we took the honey and supply some of our new hives with honey to get through the dearth. So everybody's fat and happy out there right now. That was one of the activities I did two weeks ago and let me not get too far into that. I'll come back to the local hive report in a moment. After doing the honey extraction I took some of the boxes and put them out on hives where they came from namely the polystyrene hive and let them clean them up and others I did the no-no and I put them out in the yard. Our property is a couple acres so I'm able to put them alongside the garage pretty far away from the apiary so bees are coming like a destination to get and clean these out This is like a master beekeeper no no right uh, <laughs> there are people who are emphatic that thou shall never put honey supers that have been extracted out in the yard because it encourages bees to rob. I say I've never seen that. I take my stuff I put it out far away from the hives I let the bees clean it out and when I go over to the yards I don't see a sudden uptick onslaught of robbing in my apiary I just have not seen this condition but that seems to be what the conventional wisdom is that if you put boxes out for bees to rob then they get a taste for it and they'll start robbing each other blind I've done this for years, my personal experience I don't see that. If you feel squishy about that, then don't do it. That's that's a personal preference. The recommendation is you take your honey supers that you extracted and you put them back on top of your hives. You take the inner cover and put it over the brew chamber, and you put the extracted honey boxes over top of them. And make sure you seal them off tight so that you're not drawing other bees in to rob the hive. The only reason I did not do that this year, and I I did it to some extent, but not fully, is because I had to get those honey boxes out of my garage. As summertime went on, there was more and more honey leaking out of them. And I don't have a freezer to keep my honey stored in. Speaking of my honey, my honey and I had a conversation this afternoon about buying a freezer. Kind of kind of look around and see for something. You know, we're having this debate. Do we buy a used one or do we buy a new one? The energy efficiency of these things is so much better when you buy the modern one. You don't want to get an old one, even though it works perfectly fine. So at some point we're talking about where we would put it, how much it would cost, and which kind we would buy, and the possibility of buying a freezer to put in the garage. And the reason we would do that is so that you could freeze your comb to kill the wax moth, you can store excess surplus honey in there, it would be for beekeeping. Now the funny thing is, is by the time we make our decision it might be winter, (laughs) cold. That's how we work sometimes. And then we talk about it all winter and we debate. And when spring comes, you go, you know, we should go buy a freezer or something, whatever we're going to do. That's just the way the the pattern works around here. I guess I'll go into the local high report. Let me go ahead and talk about that. A little late into it, but that's okay. Everything's happy out there. I went through, as I said in the last... Uh, episode and I probably should clean something up I didn't say it right and I want to make sure that didn't come across incorrectly I did a mite check I came up with I think it was 13 14 mites I don't have my notes in front of me now maybe it was 15 it was 15 mites out of the hive this was the citizen science hive And the point of that is you divide it by 3 and you see what your threshold is. If your threshold is 3, it's a judgment call. If it's 4, you probably are looking at conservatively treating And If it's 5, you should be treating. And if it's anything higher than 5, you could be in trouble. A lot of that has to do with how populous the bees are. When you're in the height of the season and there's a phenomenal amount of bees, they could take a little higher mite load. In my case, and what I've learned from studying the master beekeepers, and I got this question wrong, when you have a mite threshold with one or more of your hives, and you only have a handful of them, and you decide to treat that hive, you should be treating all your hives that's the general rule of thumb. Now I always thought of it is if I have a hive that's high I would treat it and if it's not I won't because I really didn't want to treat for the sake of treating. It's one of those things that I've talked about on the path in the past on, on a previous episode is I think a lot of this is uh, common sense and it depends. So let me give you an example. I have yard 1 and I have yard 2. Yard one sits probably 300 yards, not to confuse the matter, several hundred feet away from yard number two. So the two yards are separated by distance. Well, if I had found high mite counts in yard one, but not in yard two, the chances of drifting and bees wandering between the two yards is probably not that likely because they're so far apart. And then the adage of treat every hive, because some hives are high, may or may not apply. Look, in the end, this is what I did. I bought a ten-pack of apivar, which is what I treat with at this point. And when I crack it open and only need two strips for a hive that I'm going to treat, I'm not going to waste the other eight. So I made a choice to treat all of my hives. And I treated all of them, every one of them. One of the decisions I had to make, which came weird, this is what I was going to do. I have the Citizen Science hive that has the Flow hive on the top. I didn't want to treat that hive with Apivar. So I was going to take the Flow hive and put it on one of my newer hives because I would not treat that one and then the flow hive, the honey, would not be impacted. So Apivar, which is Amitraz, you're not supposed to keep your honey on on the hive when you treat with it. I will say this with a super strong light bulb to zap you with if you listen to me while I say it and take this the wrong way. Follow the directions. What do I always say? Follow the directions. So if you have Apivar on your hive, you should not have honey on it. Should not have honey on it. The Apivar folks, when you talk to them directly, will tell you that the chances of Apivar really causing a problem for us on our honey and then consuming it is very small. It leaves little or no trace, and the parts per billion are not supposed to be an impact. That is a hallway conversation, not what the product literature says. The people who make Apivar are very conservative, and they've done the right thing, and they tell you, get the honey off your hive. Good. They should be proactive. And hear me now when I tell you that if you're using Apivar and you have honey on your hive, do not feed it to anyone. So that's the outcome. I ended up having excess apovar and I didn't want to waste it. And I figured why not treat that other colony. It would have been literally the only colony that didn't have a treatment. The one that I was planning to put the flow hive on. So I just cut bait. I left that colony B, I put apovar in it, and I put apovar in the colony with the flow hive on it. And what that means is, I have to not harvest honey out of it. The fact of the matter is, when I did an inspection, there's not much honey in it. Bees did a terrible job with the flow hive. The middle of the box has very little honey in it. And there's nothing on the outside. I would say if you added it up, it might be two full frames of honey capped in that thing out of the eight frames that it has. So, what I did was I put Apivar treatments on that hive. And then I put the flow hive on top of the inner cover. And my expectation is that during the summertime, when the bees need honey, they'll draw it out of there and pull it down. And if worse comes to worse, I go into winter and they haven't cleaned it out. In the spring, I'll scratch it and let them take it out. But you know what I think is part of the problem with that flow hive was it never had honey in it from the day that it came through. Never had honey stored. Never had an odor. Never had bees walking on it. The beekeeper that had it beforehand just wasn't successful with it. And I'm wondering if I can call this year a wash with it and next year put it on a hive and they'll pack it chock full. So that's my game plan. That's where I am with that. A couple things happened over the break here while I was on hiatus. When I went away to Seattle on vacation, I came back and found... That my nuke box, the one that magically made itself a hive, something went wrong with it. It's beekeeper error. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. I underestimated the strength of the hive. The fact of the matter is, I wanted that hive to go really strong, so I opened the entrance up a little bit. And I opened it too much, they couldn't defend it, and it got robbed out. So I know, I was just talking about robbing and that you don't have problems or whatever. I don't know what happened during during the break without hive, but I found dead bees, robbed out hive, and the hive is just toast. It was empty when we got back to Seattle. If I were smart, I probably should have left the entrance reducer down to one hole. I had opened it a little more so that they had more freedom of uh, egress and ingress but nope, 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 nope. That's that's a bummer because I was hoping to build that nuke up and then put it into a full colony and that's a no-go. The good news is the other two nukes that I looked at down in yard number two they're growing and they're doing really really well. There's one other activity that I did do which I've been talking about. At least I did it halfway. I did harvest some honey out of the nasty hive, and when I put the apivar in it, I put a queen excluder in between the brood chambers. I haven't had a chance to get back out there, but before I leave for next week, I'm going to go get a queen and requeen that colony. So finally, the nasty queen can go away. Let me tell you, when I harvested honey out of that hive, they were... They were just nasty. But the fact of the matter is, uh, let me talk about that day. I was going to harvest honey out of them. It was raining all week, and we got a break on a Saturday, but there was a storm coming in early afternoon, like 2 o'clock. I got up early, got all my stuff together, and I went out there, split all the hives, put the apple bar in, and harvested the honey. And I think it got finished at somewhere about 12.30. Storm came in just afterwards. Holy cow were the bees nasty that day. Nasty. A life lesson learned here this year. I'm going to remember this for next year. And it's so ironic that in studying for Master Beekeeper, I read this. And I, I knew it, but it's a good reminder to feel it directly. I waited too long to harvest my honey. I was hoping to harvest it prior to going on vacation, but the extractor wasn't available, and I didn't want to leave the honey sitting in the garage to absorb moisture. You want to harvest your honey and then extract it right away and bottle it right away. So I had to wait till after I came back from vacation, and the nectar flow has tapered off. Now, we're in August as I'm recording this, but this was probably mid to late July. And the beekeepers around our area know that usually 4th of July is the end of the meaningful nectar flow. It went a little later this year. It was probably about to the 15th, another extra week. But when it went off, it went off. Now, that's only in pockets of New Jersey. When I had a conversation with Bob Kloss, he had told me that his hive actually put on weight the week that I was harvesting but you tend to see a change in the disposition of the bees when you're doing uh, inspections this time of year when the nectar flow tapers off one there's more idle foragers and foragers are jaded they're hanging around and two they're more apt to guard what they have even my nicer hives were nasty 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 the day that I stole honey now, I wonder if that's a bit of karma. <laughs> they know what you're coming for, and they get mad about that. I don't know. You know, as part of doing it, I put, um, I used a fume board, which I love the, the fume board. That, that just is really cool. I have an escape board and never am organized enough to try that thing. One year, I'm going to make it a point to literally use it. I think I've used it once, and it worked really well. Um but I use a fume board with butric acid and that'll drive the bees out. Let me talk more about that. You have a hive, it has two deeps, two mediums, and you want to take the mediums off the top. You go out on a sunny day, you put butric acid on your fume board, you let it heat up, you put it on top of the hive and they don't like the smell of that and it drives them down into the chamber. Some days, if it's too hot and it flashes really quickly, you'll literally drive them out of the hive. You'll see a lot of bees on the wing and they'll be bearding. In my case, that's what happened. I put a little too much on there, kind of drove the bees out of the hive. I pulled the box, which was politely empty, and set it on a hive bench on a frame nearby. And all the flying bees flew and got into the box that I wanted to take into the garage. Duh. Not the brightest plan. I had a card out there. And what I typically do is bring two sheets of wood larger than the dimension of a box. I set the box that I want to take on the sheet of wood. And then I put the other sheet of wood over it. So what I ended up doing was taking the fume board off. And putting it over top of the hive sitting on top of my ladder rack and it drove the bees out to where they were bearding off the bottom of the honey super I brought the honey super over to the hive brushed the bees off and then put the box in the cart like I should have and covered it off so once I got my mojo going I did pretty well at pulling all those honey supers off and getting those prepped Before I did that, one thing I did do is start peeking at all the hives, just pulling a couple frames and make sure what I was pulling was capped. I did really well with that, and I have to say, some years you know your honey is good, and some years your honey is okay. It's all good, believe me, but some years it's even better than usual. The second year that I harvested, my honey was amazing best honey I've ever tasted. It had a little lemony, had a little minty. It was really, really good. I think this year is on par and as good. The honey just tastes spectacular. I don't know what it is they're going to get when they fly off to wherever, but the honey is really good this year. Very pleased with it. The Warren County Fair was this past week. Went out for one day, did a did my duty, try to make sure that I volunteer at our association events as much as possible. I didn't get a chance to process the honey in advance of going to the fair, unfortunately, but the Hunterdon Fair is coming up and I think I am going to put some jars in there and see how I do. It's only right to participate in your club's honey contests. In fact, I have enough wax, maybe I'll do some wax things when I get back. I have a short little window between the time from coming home from Eastern Apiculture Society Conference to, I think there's a week or two. We'll see. We'll see what time gives us. I'm back into those work things where I'm in 7, 8 o'clock in the morning, sitting butt in a chair in the office, out late 5, 6, 7. Conference calls at 8 o'clock at night with overseas I kind of hate that life I'm I'm disappointed that I'm back to it but I guess it wax and wanes right that's what they pay us for so local hive report all the hives are out there in August shape just trying to make sure that they hold their own the treatments are on gonna leave it on for a full 56 days and pull it off You know, in the first few years that we kept bees here, the field next to us wasn't corn. It was open, just forage. Whatever was available grew naturally. And we always had a good fall harvest. But ever since they put the corn in the field next door, they don't get much to speak of in the way of goldenrod around this area. Across the field and over two fields over there's a small patch probably about six acres where somebody lets it grow natural and i'm pretty sure my bees are always working in that area along with all the other bees in the neighborhood and that's about the extent of the major goldenrod that's visible to the eye so we have a new neighbor who bought a farm 33 acres a couple houses down from us they're in the process of building a house on the property, and I think um, I'm going to go chat with him and see what we could do about asking them to leave their field a little natural. That house sold earlier in the year, and while they're building the house, they have not done anything with the field, and it's got a lot of natural forage in it. And I would love for them not to... They, they do hay or something... And they cut it down twice a year. Same with the field that's behind my property. And I would love for somebody to leave one of these fields just natural and let it grow in a little so the bees had something to work on. So I'm open to meet that guy and and his lovely wife, I guess, and see if we could work something out. Maybe even put some bees over on that field just down the road from us. We all joked on our morning walks about buying that property and making it a bee Emporium but alas I'm not a super millionaire or anything like that so local high report uh, check I think everything's in order just go out every once in a while peek in but I'm not disturbing them I've been so busy I haven't even looked at the broodminder scale to see what what's going on with the world in fact I haven't walked out there in about a week I know the grass is high. I could see it. I had planned on doing some B work this weekend in between studying. It's the full court press for EIS. But instead went to the races last night. Our crew, all three of them were racing. My brother, Keith, Corey, my nephew, Kyle, my nephew. Kyle hasn't been racing. He had a problem with his motor. Got his car together last night. Went out, ran. The car didn't run very well. We went to Hamlin, Pennsylvania, which is about a two-hour ride from the house. Drove up there by myself and listened to recordings of myself telling me different things about study facts. So <laughs> that's, that's how my life is anymore. I sit in meetings and I read my cram notes and I've just been studying nonstop in every nook and cranny of spare time that I could get. Spent the whole day today studying. So last time was a bit of a break. Just decided to go to the races. One of the key draws is we had never run Hamlin Speedway before. Or let me say that differently. We haven't been there since 2003. Back in the day, Corey, Kyle, and even my niece, Carrie Ann, raced there in a car class called a Slingshot, which is a starter car. And the Series XL Modifieds that we race with got a chance to try a new track out and we ended up going to Hamlin last night. And I wanted to go back just to see what the place looked like. It's a fifth of a mile dirt oval. It's changed considerably. It was chalkboard flat last time we were there. Now it's a small banked oval. Pretty racy track. Corey won his heat race. Keith started on the pole for his. Got spun out at one point. Ended up finishing in the back. And Kyle, his car didn't run. He pulled off. That's a theme for Kyle, unfortunately, lately. All the work that he does. Anyway, cut to the chase. Went out for the feature. Kyle's car broke on the start. Keith had a flat tire and pulled off. Corey started fourth. Ran a couple laps got to third caution, ran a couple laps, got to second caution, ran a couple laps, got the lead caution, and then the the race proceeded, I think, with one quick caution and then caution free the rest of the way, and he was able to gap a little bit out front and just hold everybody at bay and take his, I think it's his fourth win this year. And first one that I got to see, so I'm happy with that. It's either third or fourth win, but it's neat to go out, take a break, and get home till 1230 last night. But uh, it was worth it. Got some pictures. If you look on Facebook feed, you'll probably see stuff if you're connected with me. But, you know, today, again, back to the grindstone. Studied all day, pretty much. Um, I'm feeling cautiously optimistic about EAS. This is the time period in the blueprint for studying that I wanted to stop taking notes out of the book and go back and refresh myself with everything that I had written down. That Bob and I went through and did an extensive study of all the detail throughout the entire book of honeybee biology and beekeeping from Dewey Karen, among other sources, and we covered all the topics. Then what we did was went back through the materials and notes along the way and said, what would we think is going to be on the test and consolidated that, consolidated that down to study notes. And then what we did was take that or I did and take it into things that I need to know. And from that, I've been able to concisely rehash and revisit the major areas and the key things that I focused on are the products that you do for my treatment diseases which is what I spent all day today doing botany which I'm not very good at and still need some tune-ups but hopefully over the next week I'll just square away the little idiosyncrasies that I don't know and then tons and tons of other little factoid things that seem to crop up especially around queen rearing equipment Things like, um, how much do you pay and how many hives do you need if you're going to pollinate almonds? The answer is, you need two hives per acre, around $175 per hive, and you need eight frames of bees in one of those hives for it to qualify for the payment. So it's those type of things that you learn and I know anything and everything about so many different topics. But hopefully I know anything and everything about all the ones that I need to know to pass the tests. So we'll see. Uh I've been doing, like I said, that's one of the reasons why I didn't check in last time. is just been heads down focused on studying. So this Sunday we head down to Virginia. We we'll take the tests the first couple days and I'm really looking forward to getting a break. From work and studying and enjoying the conference, and hopefully on Friday night I'll get to go to the banquet wearing a nice clothes and get our picture taken. I envy Bob, and I'm worried about Bob because <laughs> Bob Claus—it's his first year. He's got to take all four tests. I passed two, and he's had far more time to study being retired he knows everything. I'm, I'm just astonished at how much he's been able to retain, but I know he's nervous and you know, this year I don't get to go through it by, by myself. He and I can, uh, cover that. Our plan is to drive to Virginia and study the whole way down, just cover different things. And, and I know that I have prepped all the things that I can't seem to retain. For a quick review prior to going into the test. So, for example, what is the life cycle of a Varroa mite? It's a fascinating topic that just does not somehow sink in for me. They ride on a bee theoretically when they enter a hive for about five or six days. And just prior to capping, for a worker, it's one or two days prior to capping they enter the cell. For a drone, it could be five to seven days and they go in the cell and they hide in the brood food and they eat the brood food while they're hiding there and they detect on the fifth instar larva which means the fifth time the bee moults they know that what's next is cocoon so they climb up on the bee and they hang out on the bee when the cocoon is formed and then for 60 hours they develop asexually or sexually I don't remember what the term is but the point of it is, is they feed on the bee, they're pulling out fat bodies and other things from the bee, and it helps them develop to the point where they can lay an egg. After 60 hours, they lay an egg. The first egg is a male. have to lay the male first so the male can mature in time to mate with the female. After every 30 hours, they lay another female egg. In time both the male and the first female both mature to the point where they can mate and that female is the one that when the bee emerges comes out as an adult ready to go for the next round of making new mites. Now sometimes depending on how long the bee takes a second female is viable And if it's in a drone where it takes a little longer than 21 days, so one of the things that we don't kind of pay attention to is a bee will emerge 19 to 22 days. There's a range for it. We always say, how long does it take for a worker to emerge? It's 21 days. If it's a little bit longer, then maybe that second female is going to make it out of the gate. And what happens is when the bee emerges, if it's in... 19, 20, 21 days and only one varroa female makes it out the bees go in and clean up the cell and they kill any of the immature varroa mites including the males that never make it out. Now if it's a drone and they take a little longer to uh, come out then it is possible for two female varroa to make it out of the cell. Now this is all squishy because maybe she lays an egg every 30 hours, or she could lay it every 24 hours. If that's the case, then maybe more, uh, female Varroa emerge. But I mean, this is the level of detail of things that we've been studying because I've seen in past lab exams where they have a diagram of the Varroa mite cycle and they say in, you know, life cycle segment number C, what is going on and how long does it take so you you kind of have to be able to talk about the varroa mite, about the even things like B louse and other trachea mites and so on so I, I don't know if i'm psyching myself out by studying far too much but i'm going in on kill i've really prepared for pretty much everything and that's just a little taste of where it goes in my recollection, I know there are four, I think there's four or five master beekeepers in New Jersey, not a lot of them. Landy Simone, Grant Stiles, David Wazatowski, John Cott got his last year, and I think there's probably two or three others that may be out there or just... They're not around anymore. Like David Wasatowski is one of our guys from Northwest. Um, but his father, Stan, is the one that keeps bees. And, and David helps him sometimes. And he has bees too, but he's not super active. i got to say congratulations to Frank Mortimer. Frank Mortimer went through the Cornell Master Beekeepers program and just got his certification out at the Dice Lab last year. That's interesting. I never, I knew they had a program. In fact, EAS is modeled after the Cornell program. You know, Bob and I had joked about after we've done all the studying and we've become so smart, maybe we ought to go take the BBK tests. And I'm thinking to myself, well, could I subject myself to Cornell for a year or whatever it is? That's just overkill. I think EAS is good enough. While I'm on the topic, one last thing to say about that is that um, I heard recently that Billy Davis passed away. Last time I saw him, he didn't look in that grade of health. So in that context, I guess it's not that much of a surprise, but that's too bad. I, I liked Billy, had a lot of good times chatting with him whenever I encountered him. I know he was really important to the people of that region. And to beekeeping in general in the Northeast, he did a lot of work, a lot of education, mentored a lot of people, shared a lot of information, and uh, it's a huge loss for us in the Northeast to have lost Billy Davis. And I say Godspeed to him. Thank you for all that you did. You know, dedicate this to him, and uh, wish his family and friends the best in in the times of loss, um, you know, it makes me think about different things going on. I haven't encountered Tim Schuller lately, but I did see that Tim's article that he was preparing about our Malawi trip made it into the American Bee Journal. So if you check that out, what's funny is, uh, on the return home from the trip in March, we stopped at the airport. And before we all departed ways, we gave Tim a quick gift, which was a hat. And the hat was a Malawi hat. And we stopped to take a selfie. And it's really funny. We'd just been 17 hours on a plane. We're just about to all go to the separate ways. And we take a picture. And we all look really, really happy. And if you open the article in American Bee Journal and read, that's the picture that Tim picked to put in there to talk about all the beekeepers that went there's a couple other pictures that i took from the trip in there and um it's neat it's great to, to read that article because it's literally like revisiting everything with tim's perspective there's so many i'll call tim isms in there and uh really enjoyed reading that i think he did a great job at capturing the essence of all the stuff that we did yeah, I think back, and that seems so long ago, but uh the Malawi trip was just great. And I think uh, I have to make a note to myself that when we come back to the next episode, there's a couple really good stories that haven't been told from that. And I was asked recently to start thinking about prepping a presentation for uh Africa to go in November, December timeframe with Bob Kloss and another beekeeper from Northwest U took a trip and did beekeeping activities in Africa this year. So that should be neat to uh, circle back to when the weather gets a little colder. All right, this has been a sidebar episode. No topics, no roundtables, just one kind of sharing what's been going on. I will be back uh, either two weeks from now or three weeks from now. Like I said, I have the majority of about two or three episodes worth of content ready, so shouldn't be a problem to get things back. I was thinking about if I could prep it. There's a Landy Simone presentation that she gave over the winter last year that I've been thinking about releasing, and since I'm going to be gone, I might put that one out just to keep things going here, so... I have rambled for almost 50 minutes. That's pretty impressive, considering I didn't think I had anything to say. Wish me luck. If you're at EAS, uh, please come find me. I'll be around all week. Try the veal. I'm looking forward to it. I I really hope that uh, I come out of the first couple of days with a positive outlook on my test results and get to really take the stress off and enjoy the conference and look forward to meeting a bunch of people going through the vendor area and just kind of chilling out. What better way to spend your time than to uh, veg out for a week away from work? I only wish Sharon was coming with me, but couldn't talk her into it. She's okay with a day or two here or there, but not the whole week with a bunch of beekeepers. That's that's a little much for her to ask. So, all right. Like our beloved bees, when beekeepers go together, we can accomplish great things. Thanks for listening, everybody, and catch you next time on the Beekeepers Corner.